1: If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the shows, MP3 files which you can download, or links to your favorite platform like iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and all other major sources. You can find information for upcoming and past talk show appearances, as well as new book projects at MarlenePardo.com. You can also purchase books and merchandise there. And you can visit my author page on Amazon at Marlene Pardo mm-hmm. Due to popular demand, I'm narrating my true believer stories that I've collected throughout the years in a new series called Supernatural Storytime. You can find links at SupernaturalStorytime.com. If you are into classic horror, ghosts, and adventure stories, I narrate some of those at Nightshade Diary. And you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If you would like to read noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at Chronicles.com. I do want to thank you all for being part of my audience, and I think you are all... Hi everybody, this is Marlene, and I wanted to mention that upon reviewing the audio, I realized that there's a hissing going on in the background. Bear with me about six minutes into the interview it dies away so I'm going to apologize uh but i don't want to cut it out because i believe that that first part of the interview is really important so thanks for understanding hi everybody this is marley with miami ghost chronicle stories of the supernatural how is everybody doing today good i hope i'm doing wonderful good here in hot miami okay uh yes it's hot and steamy but I wouldn't have it any other way and for those of you who've asked me because you know I've mentioned it yeah I still got my trees growing out in the back a lot of hard work okay I'm I'm a wimpy farmer I admit it I'm a wimpy farmer (laughs) okay but it's it's well worth it. it it's it's good it's good but anyway guys you know I sometimes I talk about interesting things up in the news and it just so happens the timing on this couldn't have been better and you'll understand why when I introduce my guest today. But anyway, this is uh, this. As a matter of fact, it's dated today. Well, no, I'm sorry, yesterday, April 24th, uh, and this is out of the Inquirer, out of uh, Philadelphia. And basically, the title on this piece is "Frustrated Pilots Got Navy to Stop Dismissing UFO Sightings." Okay, and the the the, the intro to the piece, and I'll put a, a link on the credits of the show. It's a recent uptick in sightings of unidentified flying objects, or as the military calls them, unexplained aerial phenomena. Prompted the U.S. Navy to draft formal procedures for pilots to document encounters, a corrective measure that former officials say is long overdue. Since 2014, are you talking here five years? These intrusions have been happening on a regular basis. Okay, this is... uh, This was quoted from Joseph Gratisher. He's a spokesman for the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Information Warfare. All right. And we want to get to, and he goes on to say, we want to get to the bottom of this. We need to determine who's doing it, where it's coming from, and what their intent is. We need to try to find ways to prevent it from happening again. Prevent what, how can you, you know, first of all, you are trying to find out what it is. Why do you want to prevent it? Uh, and of course, safety and security concerns. We are going to investigate each and every report, which means that probably they're being overrun with their pilots saying, I saw something, I don't know what it is, but it's like something that maybe is in contradiction to what radar is bringing on or it's maneuvering some way that they can't account for. Otherwise, it they, they wouldn't be unidentified. Um, Luis Elizondo is a former senior intelligence officer told the Washington Post who, who published the story originally that the new Navy guidelines formalized the reporting process facilitating a data-driven analysis while removing the stigma from talking about UFOs calling it the single greatest decision the Navy has made in decades yeah now I'm gonna get to the good part you know what that good part is I'm gonna tell you who the guest is okay and let me tell you uh, a little bit about this lady her name is Kathleen Martin okay she is a leading ufo researcher she's the author of several books and she's uh she's a featured on camera commentator she's also an international lecturer Uh, she earned a ba degree in social work and worked as an educator in education services coordinating while attending graduate school she's a practitioner of regression and QHHT hypnosis and her interest in ufos and contact began in 1961 when her aunt and uncle betty and barney hill had a close encounter, subsequent abduction in New Hampshire's White Mountains. And many of you will, if you're familiar at at all with the UFO phenomena, understand that that case, uh, that abduction case was what set a lot of things in motion. Uh, She's been a MUFON director of MUFON's Experiencer research team since 2011. And she's also on the board of, of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. The acronym for that is FREE, F-R-E-E. Her books are Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, uh, Science Was Wrong, and Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers, which she co-authored with nuclear physicist, scientific ufologist, Stanton T. Friedman. And she also has another book with Denise Soner titled The Alien Abduction uh, Files. Now, um, she's... Uh, she has a, another book or fifth book extraterrestrial contact what to do when you've been abducted which is slated for publication in 2019 and without further ado let me get her on and we going to ask her about all these interesting subjects how are you doing today Kathleen
2: I'm doing well
1: I am so glad to have you on and we spoke a little bit before coming on and I'm telling you it's talk about the rabbit hole this is deep 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 into the rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) and it goes off into lots of tunnels but um and we were we were commenting because i told her that i was going to mention that story that was just published about what the navy's going to do uh that things have come so long such a long way from 1961 kathleen when your aunt and her husband had this experience yes and can you, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with, with their story, but if you could fill us in a little bit, especially from the vantage point of a family member that was able to see behind the scenes of what, what happened to them on a personal level.
2: I'd be happy to. Uh, briefly, my aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, were a credible couple. Let me say that. They were churchgoers. They were envoys to the United Nations. They are taking a trip to Niagara Falls, Montreal, and then back through New Hampshire to their home on the coast of New Hampshire, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on September 19, 1961. Um, And as they entered into New Hampshire uh, that night, they saw something in the sky that initially my aunt thought might be a a meteor but it wasn't it was moving upward instead of down and it really attracted her attention and she continued to watch this because it stopped in the sky and it started to grow larger and larger she and my uncle stopped the car a couple of times to take a look at this thing uh and they uh it continued to grow larger and larger in the sky. Finally, they entered an area of New Hampshire known as Franconia Notch. Uh, It's a popular tourist area because there are tall mountains on each side of the road. And this craft was in front of the mountain and down so that they could get a really good view of it. They stopped at an area called the Old Man of the Mountain and they noticed that this craft was compared to the old man's profile, probably about 70 feet in diameter. And it was moving in an unconventional way. A stair-step pattern seemed to be bouncing back and forth in the sky at one point. My uncle was anxious to drive home. Uh, He worked for the post office, and he uh, had... uh, wanted to get home at a reasonable hour. They anticipated getting home at about two o'clock in the morning. But as they left Franconia Notch and they came out into an area of New Hampshire uh, where the tourist attractions began and the motels began, um, this craft swooped down and stopped right over their vehicle. My uncle had to park the car in the middle of the road in order not to be directly underneath it. It started at about 200 feet and it in the air and it started to descend. Uh, he got out of the car and started looking at it because he did not believe in flying saucers.
1: Uh, Let <laughs> me tell you something. Talk about man! What a moment in someone's life. Like, are my eyes lying to me? Yes.
2: He kept shaking his head. He could not believe it. It moved to an adjacent field and came down even lower, and he followed it into the field. The in- interior light was left on in the car, so my aunt really couldn't see what was going on. She saw the craft, but she needed to look so she could move the car if, if another car came along. He looked, went into the field with his binoculars, held them up to his eyes, and he saw 8 to 11 non-human entities staring back at him. They were dressed in black, shiny uniforms. He remembered that. That was part of his conscious recall. And uh, suddenly, little like fins started to slide out from the sides of this disc-shaped craft. And it started to tip a little bit in his direction. And something started to drop down out of the bottom of it immediately he thought that they had a plan for him and that that plan was to capture him like, quote, a bug in a net, close quote. He became terrified. He pulled the binoculars down from his eyes, running back to the car and telling my aunt to that they had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. The craft started to move overhead as he got into the car and started speeding down the highway. He told my aunt to roll down the window to look up to see if she could see this craft and she did and she was looking for lights. She couldn't see any lights. All she saw was blackness. The craft was right over that right cup. it was
1: blocking out even the starlight or anything right is that what you're yes saying? it
2: was it was blocking out all light and then she and my uncle heard a series of code like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of their car and when that happened the car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through their bodies the next thing they knew they were 35 miles down the highway they heard a second series of these buzzing sounds striking the trunk. My uncle stopped the car and he drove it from side to side, trying to make that sound, because he said to Betty, don't be ridiculous. There are no UFOs. There are no flying saucers. He couldn't make that sound. and But he wanted to report that close encounter and that observation of these non-humans. the police. He was looking for the police all the way home. He didn't find any. When they arrived home, they found physical evidence that something that they could not explain had happened. My aunt was wearing a beautiful dress. It was torn in several different places. She put it into her closet. The next time she took it out, it was covered with a pink powdery substance. It's been analyzed in six different laboratories now with anomalous findings. The tops of my uncle's best dress shoes were so deeply scraped that he had to buy new shoes. He was a meticulous dresser. Uh, Their watches, their wind-up watches they were wearing that night stopped and never ran again there were shiny spots on the trunk of their car that had not been there and when my aunt took a compass out and placed it over those spots the needle would spin and spin indicating a magnetic field around the Uh, trunk of that vehicle we've seen that in other cases mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. alien abduction as well my uncle was the person who actually saw these non-humans it had a profound effect on him he developed post-traumatic stress disorder and ended up uh, undergoing uh, uh, six months of hypnotic regression Mm -hmm. with Dr. Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist who had worked with veterans who were returning from World War II very successfully. Um, Dr. Simon also saw my Aunt Betty and uh, he hypnotized them separately under hypnosis, each of them remembered uh, very very similar if not identical details of finding themselves on a dirt road, tall trees all around, a different road than they had been on and they were taken onto this craft where they were taken into separate rooms and given physical examinations and released.
1: Kathleen, do you think, or I don't know if they ever told you, did they feel that they were chosen because they happened to be, you know, you know, you know, that saying wrong place, wrong time, or that there was a specific reason why they were chosen?
2: They always thought it was the wrong place, the wrong time. I question that now because I am a researcher. I've done uh, just recently finished an academic study with Dr. Don C. Donderry, a retired professor from McGill University on five hundred and sixteen experiencers and um, they the majority are having generational contact. Okay. So one generation was taken and then another and then another. It seems to be a longitudinal genetic study
1: right that there in other words, it was it was, Maybe they were plans, but it just so happens like, oh, this is the perfect time for us to be able to retrieve you. Yes, that uh,
2: could have been.
1: Right. Which. Right. In other words, it wasn't just happenstance. It was like, man, our bad luck that we were traveling, you know, in the early morning hours down this lonely road. It, it would it sounds like it might have hap- it could have happened later on at some other point. Yes, absolutely. You know, it was a question almost of opportunity. Um, And I can't even, because I'm thinking their reality had to talk about being psychologically profoundly affected. I mean, when, how did, what happened? Did they call the police? This was the first contact. I'm thinking, how does that conversation go? Imagine, especially (laughs) back in 1961.
2: Yes, well, uh, Betty... Uh, called my mother, and uh, because we had a, a neighbor who was a physicist and she wanted to know uh, what they should do if they had been contaminated.
1: Right, and, yeah.
2: and uh, so that was the beginning of my knowledge of this because I was home from school in the afternoon and I overheard the conversation. Uh, My father's best friend was a police officer. He was the chief of police in Newton, New Hampshire. And he stopped by for coffee every night. He stopped in for coffee and he advised my mother to tell Betty and Barney to make a report to Pease Air Force Base to Project Blue Book. Uh, That is what the police departments had been advised to do. And so Betty and Barney reported it to Pease Air Force Base uh, and they also reported it to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, and that was a civilian group, mostly of retired uh, military officers and scientists at that time. Um, and so there were they. It was NICAP who really did the most thorough investigation. It seems like the Air Force uh, did. A pretty good initial interview, but then the cover-up was put into place. I have all of the records. It's all in my book, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. Um, But what happened is that uh, even though Betty and Barney...
1: From earaches to strep tests, there's Miniclinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See for details.
2: They stated that when this craft swooped down, it was a, as large as a dinner plate at arm's length, uh, just huge. It, fill, it filled up the whole field of their windshield that uh, the Air Force said, oh, well, maybe it's planet Jupiter or um, maybe it's an advertising light for a theater or something like that. In the off season, in a wilderness area. I was going to say, wasn't
1: it kind of remote? The area that they were traveling. Yes, yeah, so it was very remote. Uh,
2: you know, so they they were grasping at straws for an explanation, and then they finally said that Betty and Barney were unavailable for further interviews, which it was also a baloney. Um, and so they just sort of wrote it off as the Air Force. Was doing in that time frame. Let me ask you something.
1: At what point do you think your aunt and your uncle, because this sounds like they were trying to be good citizens, like you said, we, this is a very unusual experience. Let's, of course, the police, no crime. They refer them over to the Air Force. And they're thinking, okay, we're going to tell the truth. This is what happened. At what point did they realize they're making us, like what you just said, they're, you know, why are all of a sudden we're the ones that. You know, we witnessed something weird. Like, why are they trying to make us sound like we're stupid? <laughs> I guess it's the only way to look at it.
2: <laughs> yes, and, and particularly because my Aunt Betty was a social worker in the state of New Hampshire. My uncle had served honorably in the Army during World War II. Uh, his character reference was that excellent uh, also, they were active in the civil rights movement in the state of New Hampshire. In 1964, Barney was appointed to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission State Advisory Committee in that state. They were envoys to the United Nations through their church. They were reputable people. They were living New life. They
1: were living their normal lives, as what you're were. describing.
2: They absolutely were. They had no interest in UFOs. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't good that this happened. They intended to keep it secret. They never wanted to the public to know about this because they didn't want uh, to have their reputations destroyed, to be thought of as a couple of kooks. Yeah. And that was the word that was used in that time frame for bet, anyone yeah. who did this sort of thing. Uh, But in 1965, unfortunately, a friend of Betty's talked to a friend of hers who was a newspaper reporter for a Boston newspaper. Um, This friend knew everything about what was revealed under hypnosis and about the incident itself. Oh my God. This reporter did his own investigation. He tried to talk to Betty and Barney They refused. They would not talk to him. They said, we'll lose our jobs. We'll lose our taxes. No, please don't release this information. And they thought that they were safe. But then a couple of months later on the front page of the Boston Traveler was that story for five days in a row. Wow. You can imagine the impact that it had on my family
1: sure absolutely i mean it's like here and and, and of course <coughs> this is the thing people don't realize they were living they had both had jobs they were yes. making a living they understood the repercussions as a as when we're talking your daily life and this is besides whatever they were undergoing in their minds as far as that experience but let's face it your your life goes on in the sense of I need to pay my bills. I need a job. Absolutely. And, and uh, that must have been that must have been devastating for them.
2: Oh, it was because of uh, there were some individuals who were not that nice because my uncle right. was back in 1961, um, and there was a lot of prejudice even in mm-hmm. Boston, Massachusetts, where he was right. working in that time frame. Right. So it was difficult for him. And it was, it was difficult for my aunt as well to have that sort of perception now. Uh, the only good thing that came out of it is that that newspaper reporter had gone to the White Mountains. And he had uh, actually interviewed 10 to 12 uh, other witnesses to that UFO that night in that time frame. And I have the okay. letter that he wrote stating that. So, uh, he was able to take all the information, the descriptions, the locations of these various witnesses, and draw lines, and on those lines, he discovered that that UFO was exactly where Betty and Barney saw it. So, that was very important. Yes, absolutely. But um, what happened is that after this came out in the newspaper, Betty and Barney decided that they would speak uh, publicly about what had occurred. And their first lecture was at the Unitarian Church in Dover, New Hampshire. And they were introduced by the public information officer from Pease Air Force Base. Okay, So that was... No, a little bit of a vindication, right?
1: Exactly. Uh,
2: that that this was real. They didn't talk about the abduction part of it, just about the close encounter uh, with the UFO. And there were other military people who contacted Betty and Barney and were very supportive of
1: them and knew that this was real. And. What ha- I imagine once they started speaking, uh, they got more coverage. In other words, the word got out. Because back then, of course, it was, you know, newspapers and, and everything. Um, yes. What was happening to them as far as behind the scenes? Because we talked earlier how at some point there was an effort at disinformation uh, yes. that even took on like a personal tinge to it.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh- A man named Philip Klass, who was an editor and writer for uh, a space, aerospace magazine in Washington, D.C., for some reason uh, became a disinformant. I think that it was because he was in trouble with the federal government for things that he was doing. He was under suspicion as being a spy. Okay. Um, And his apartment was actually raided by the FBI and after that uh, he began this work and so uh, he started the job of being a disinformant uh, the go-to guy for the mainstream media and every credible case where there was evidence and credible witnesses and public interest was debunked by Philip Class, who uh, use speculation primarily in order to uh, cause the general public to become confused about the facts of the case. He told a false story and it caused a great deal of confusion and many people began to believe his false story rather than the true story of what occurred. And that's the reason that I uh, speak out. In this field now, I started out uh, speaking about my family's experience with all of this, but have gone on to do much, much more work in this field.
1: So what you're describing is as long as your aunt and uncle kept a low profile and it didn't come out, they were good. In other words, it's like, okay, they talked to us, but they're not going to the papers, So we'll just leave them alone and whatever. But once, unfortunately, it came then it was, in other words, they were collateral damage. I hate to say it because they, it sounds like there was an agenda as in we cannot let people actually believe that something like this is real. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to, you have to look at the
2: military side. Yeah. They are not able to prevent this from occurring. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can't prevent it, you have to deny it. because their job is to protect the American public. So uh, that's the rationale. I've passed that by some military officers, and they agreed with me that that was the rationale. And uh, so that was uh, why they were debunked in that time frame. Uh, Mm -hmm. There have been some things that have come out recently uh, on television, for example, that uh, Mm -hmm. really in a way, have vindicated my aunt's story because she uh, remembered seeing a star map on that craft. She asked one of those non-human entities where they were from. He produced what was kind of like a three-dimensional star map, and there she sketched it as a result of a post-hypnotic suggestion, and over time, a brilliant... Amateur astronomer from Ohio was okay. able to discover the, the, where those stars were. And they had very special properties. It took a number of years because some of the stars on Betty's map hadn't been discovered right. when she drew the map and when the research began. But uh, the stars were identified. The primary stars in, in the front were zeta reticuli, one and two, about 39 and 40 light years away from our sun, and our sun was on the map. All of the stars on Betty's map were considered to be sun-like stars, even though only 5% of the stars in the local galactic neighborhood were considered to be sun-like. Wow, so So how would she
1: have known that, in other words? Right,
2: how would she? And with the location of these stars, they were, In a plane which would have made it uh, easier and more logical to travel star to star exactly yes so let me ask
1: you something Kathleen did your aunt ever feel I mean as intrusive as you think about it you know being abducted and examined did she ever think there was any animosity or was it just strictly curiosity as far as the way they were handled by no, the no these...
2: animosity whatsoever. Okay. they they told Betty and Barney repeatedly through telepathic messages. Uh, mm-hmm. We will not hurt you. Uh, we only need to do a few simple tests, and then you'll will you'll go on your way. Um, and then, when Barney was returned to the car first, Betty was returned uh, a little bit later. And as she was being escorted, uh, the the leader who was escorting her uh, apologized, said, I'm very sorry that we frightened you in the beginning and uh, apologized for that. And Betty wanted them to come back. At that time, she right. uh, had lost her fear. And he okay. said, uh, well, maybe I can come back, but it's not my decision to make. And she sa- said, well, how would you find me? And he said, we can always find those that we want to find.
1: Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that talks about, that says plenty right there. Yes, Um, it does. Kathleen, now that, and and it's like you said, you've become a researcher in this field far beyond just having, you know, what that experience that your aunt and uncle had. Do you think that there is more than one type of extraterrestrial that's interacting or visiting Earth?
2: I know that there's more than one type. Okay. Uh, we have different races of greys. They don't all look alike, but among the greys, they tend to have the smaller ones, about three and a half to four feet tall, right. who serve as the like little soldiers, like okay. guards on the craft and assistants. And then you have the ones who are a little bit taller, about five, four and a half, five, five and a half feet tall. And those are the ones who act as the educators, as the physicians, um, and as the scientists on the craft. Because this appears to be um, a longitudinal uh, genetic study that is uh, occurring, taking place. And so they sometimes work with what people describe as an insectoid type, who are taller, maybe five and a half feet tall to six feet tall, Um, and they are primarily, from what the information I've received from thousands of experiencers, uh, they are primarily the physicians on the craft. They generally do the procedures when the grays and the insectoids are working together. They don't always work together. Um, There is also a type that uh, has a very human appearance. Okay. Uh, they're a little bit different from us. They're telepathic. Um, they they don't wear human type clothing. and They travel in craft that uh, can maneuver in ways that our craft certainly cannot. Right. But they these are the most benevolent types, and okay. uh, they have been with many people too. Originally, years ago. Uh, we thought that the greys were not benevolent. Right. But, but uh, times have changed. And they, in my latest study, uh, have attempted to help experiencers. When an experiencer, and there are thousands if not millions of them, ask for healing from some medical problem, they've been healed. Wow information has is being given to them on an ongoing basis about their mission about their concerns about our planet the human looking types are also doing this Uh, so it appears that there is a public information campaign going on by these non-human entities now there are other non-humans that uh, have a bad reputation and those are the reptilian types right they're certainly not as kind as as the others and uh, then there are other t- types that are seen in far smaller percentages according to my research
1: study right and some of these are independent from another in other words yes they're we're they're on t- t- we're not like we're we're here at the same time but we're doing our thing do you think there's any truth Uh, That maybe the grays are kind of like a bio robotic worker kind of thing where They're kind of sent to do the heavy lifting for lack of a better word when it comes to this type of, you know Whatever they're doing whether they're retrieving humans or examinations
2: Well from the information I've received the smaller grays could possibly be bio robotic It makes sense to me because there are all those people that you don't have to feed. You don't have to provide yeah. beds for them, toilets for them. You don't yeah. have to worry about <laughs> their interactions with one another. They can do the menial labor part of the job. Uh, most experiencers do not think that the taller grays are robotic. If okay. they are, they are extremely sophisticated. They have emotions.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, and uh, they... Appear to be sentient beings, according right. to every experiencer that I've ever talked to. Researchers will speculate that they're biorobotic. Experiencers
1: say absolutely not. Right, because there's that, right. And I want to say, suppose, you know, AI you don't think is capable of emotion or emotional yeah. exchange. So if they feel that, do you think that as far as uh, I'm going to go into cattle mutilations, for example. Uh, is there, in your research, any group that's responsible for that as far as... I mean, forget asking why they would do it beyond what you would think of as just research, but why that's so prevalent?
2: Uh, there, There is a group of reptilians who might possibly be involved in those cattle mutilations, and I know that the supposedly the reptilians have... Uh, Captured some grays and forced them to do this work as well. And so okay. there are grays that are seen um, on craft in cases where this has happened. Uh, that's what some experiencers are saying when they have been on craft where there have been cattle mutilations taking place, allegedly.
1: And I have talked personally. And, and, and that, that, that's a put a hold, you know, that they kind of like are you know, maybe they're abducting the grazer, using them for, you know, that, that, that's, that's, right. We, we're, we're gonna use you to do the dirty work for us. Uh,
2: yes, and you know, I haven't talked to anyone who has seen that, but I've read about it. So let me
0: We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by root metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. We did it again.
2: say none of the experiencers and thousands of experiencers that I have talked to have stated that they
1: have seen this.
2: This comes from a few
1: individuals. And it's it's possible. I don't don't see it. And as far as, you know, there's also been so many reports throughout the years very close to military bases or any place where they keep some type of nuclear arsenal. Uh, Do you think that there is truth to what they say that they're hoping that, you know, that we're responsible as far as when it comes to warfare or the use of any type of nuclear weapons?
2: Well, we know for certain that they show up it during battle. They were in Vietnam. They were in Iraq. They, Afghanistan, they show up. They have a big concern. Um, right. Robert Salas was a military officer who was in uh, a nuclear weapons Uh, arsenal area underground, when a UFO came to that base in, I believe it was in North Dakota, and hovered over that base, and the nuclear weapons went down. Wow. This happened in base after base after base in the United States, and also it happened in the Soviet Union. So right. they are attempting to give a message, right? They the
1: message, can override systems. In other words, they can.
2: Yes, they can. They can override systems. They also are telling experiencers over and over again. Uh, we are very concerned about your use of nuclear weapons. We're concerned that you uh, We'll have a nuclear war and there will be an environmental collapse on your planet. We've seen this happen on other planets. We don't want it to happen here. And they're concerned about uh, the fact that we have not been good stewards to our environment either. And so those are the two major messages that have been given to experiencers over and over again. We try to get the word out to the public. But then we have some scientists who just uh, go on television and say, I just don't believe it. They're not giving any evidence for why it couldn't be true. They just say, as a scientist, I don't believe it. It's their personal emotional reaction, in my opinion.
1: Right, exactly. If you're a scientist, they're, you know, either you have some type of, if you have a hypothesis or whatever the case might be, you have some type of, not qualitative, but quantitative proof to have said I've reached this conclusion based on, or whatever, not because I dreamt it or I felt it, <laughs> or something right. like that. Yeah, so like, you God.
2: might have uh, 2,000 experiencers who have all been given this particular information, but you have one scientist who emotionally can't accept that.
1: Right, and it's it's it's, belief. And now we're going. You know, I don't know. I'm sure you're aware of that. You know that they they have that magnetic pole shift. That as that it's kind of even though uh, it's happened before. Apparently, was overdue, and it's shifting weird. And as a matter of fact, they had to uh, basically um, update the maps for the GPS systems. You know that all the satellites use. Uh, that usually they would put it out every five years and they had to kind of hurry up and put out a new version because in other words things are not where they would be and it makes you wonder also you know that has an impact as far as the planet and everything and animals that use the magnetic poles for any type of migration and it makes you wonder i wonder if you know they're looking at us going okay i wonder how they're going to handle that Yes.
2: Well, let me tell you, I've been a commentator on NASA's unexplained files on the most recent series. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching the show and they had part of the show was uh, about the collapse of the Earth's magnetic field and how uh, that magnetic field protects us from asteroids or meteorites, meteors that are coming in. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are about to enter a, uh, a part of our galaxy um, where we enter this once every 300,000 years. But there wow. it is an asteroid belt with a lot of asteroids. And so our scientists are oh. working on ways to uh, move them out of our path through the use of maybe a nuclear weapon up there or through giant sails or something where they can move that if they find that something is in our path and might hit our planet. I'm hoping that our visitors will also yeah, show benevolence years. and and, uh, and do the same thing
1: for right, us. Right, right, right. Because it even protects us from radiation coming out of the Earth itself. I mean, the the, the purpose of it is it, it, it serves a lot as far as people don't realize with what's going on with the with that magnetic shift. Uh, I mean, it's happened before. It's not that it's never happened before. Right,
2: it has happened before, and there, there has been a collapse of our magnetic field mm-hmm. going back into the 1950s. The nuclear weapons that we exploded above ground were uh, said to have been responsible for some of that. Now, in the book, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence, put out by free. I have a 30,000-word chapter. And in that chapter, I talk about uh, an experiment that took place back beginning in 1954, where a woman from Maine began to receive telepathic messages from uh, individuals, who claimed to be the the captains of giant motherships who were in our atmosphere or just outside our atmosphere and they were very concerned about the collapse of the Earth's magnetic field. I have evidence through correspondence files I acquired from family members of Admiral Knowles who was concerned about this and also through the Canadian government, with uh, with Wilbert Smith, who worked for the Canadian government, they attempted to f- uh, find information that would confirm that the Earth's magnetic fields were being repaired, as these non-human entities said okay. they were doing to help us, and wilbert smith actually did find evidence in the scientific magazine that the earth's magnetic fields were being repaired
1: so let's ask for help again right 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 no the, and, and it's very scary when uh, when you think even even when they detonate some of these bombs underground it makes you wonder what is that doing because i know oh, that absolutely. It's like, yeah, I mean, whether it's above ground or underground, it's, it, personally, to me, it's very frightening because uh, the long-term effects, or in this case, the short-term effects, I mean, there's no way sometimes to repair it or to stop it or, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure you've heard of, sometimes people think of electromagnetic pulse bombs, you know, where, uh, I mean, so many things can that I guess it's part of as we advance in technology, it's, but it makes you think it's like yeah, but I want to survive technology into the future. I don't want it have destroy us or throw us back into the stone age. Yes, uh, absolutely. And and uh, you know you always think of you know Star Trek, you know where they had the prime directive, which was don't interfere, especially if you're uh, in a planet which is compared to yours, much more primitive. And Mm -hmm. it makes you wonder if any of these extraterrestrials, they have something similar to that, but at some point they're going, oh my God, wait a minute, you know, (laughs) if we don't interfere, there won't be anything left to study.
2: (laughs) True, they don't want to interfere, but uh, according to my sources, they they say that they might have to. They don't want to, but if we come to the point of no return, they might have to.
1: Kathleen, do you think there's any possibility that extraterrestrials have either tweaked or worked or actually interbred with us as far as genetics, as far as who we are now as modern humans?
2: Well, there is a geneticist who states that uh, there is evidence that we have been tweaked in the past. And so I wouldn't doubt that if, I mean, if you look at the, the history with uh, from information written by Zachariah Sitchin, who was uh, a historian, archae archaeolo- archaeologist, I think, um, who who uh, wrote about our history, there is alien contact, ET contact, dating back into those very early records. If you read the Bible, there mm-hmm. is an indication of contact. Uh, yes but as far back as that and so um, there i believe there is evidence that we were upgraded in the past okay. and i believe that we are being upgraded right now as okay. well do you and think any what-
1: type of like a hybrid pro uh, type of efforts do you think because i know that there's uh these that have basically described where their genetic material, whether it's uh, eggs from a woman and sperm from a man, have been taken. do you think that they're doing anything along those lines?
2: Well, yes, they are doing that. Uh, people, there are are women and men who uh, uh, are giving birth to their babies, but these babies have extraordinary gifts and right. and These couples are experiencers. They've been taken to craft. Uh, There is also, it appears to be, a hybridization program um, that's taking place where they are keeping some of these children as well. And experiencers have reported, dating back into the 1970s, that Mm -hmm. they have seen uh, these hybrid children on craft. They've held them and that sort of thing. The non-human entities uh, state that they had that other program in place so that if we do end up destroying life on this planet, this planet can be reseeded.
1: Right, I was gonna say, yeah, almost like, I don't wanna say a Noah's Ark, but yeah, that they have the genetic material in order to reestablish another colony of humans as we are now on some other planet, I guess that's similar to this one Yes. That's carbon based. And it and you almost think also at the same time that, yeah, that that some part of us, if you know that that's why we're able to basically produce children or produce offspring. I'm sorry, that there must be some common genetic uh, compatibility, you would think, between us and them in order to be able to produce offspring of some type. Well,
2: possibly or through genetic splicing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: I'm I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I know, I
1: know, and then then this is the thing. And sometimes, you know, I look at all of this, and you know, it's almost like. And I'm sure you've heard now, you know, the use of uh, technology like the CRISPR, where you know they're doing genome splicing and this and that, and they're kind of like tweaking with genetics. And I'm thinking, I wonder if this, you know, uh, if this is what's was done to us beforehand, and now we as human, modern humans. And the scientific community are doing it, but you know, down the food chain. In other words, yes. Uh,
2: and and dating back to the 1950s, we know that these craft have been observed taking plant life, taking yeah. animal life. It, it's it's almost as if they are the Norse ox story all over again.
1: Right. Yeah. The, just in case they they do something really stupid, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's like. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's it's so it could lead off into so many directions and the ripple effect. uh, And again, the question, like you said, that, you know, maybe because of modern technology, people are able to either capture it now with cameras, which nowadays everybody's walking with one in their phone, uh, or, but, you know, it sounds like, yeah, they've been around for a really long time. And just beforehand, people just didn't know how to, you know, mistook them for God's yeah, something yes. otherworldly. Uh, but, yeah, this could go off in so many directions. But anyway, Kathleen, I wanted to thank you so, so much for oh, joining us today. So it has been absolutely wonderful. I could talk to you for hours and hours and oh, hours and hours.
2: I, we could. <laughs> we
1: could. <laughs> There's so many things. It's an ever-evolving field. Uh, mm. And and thankfully, based even on that article that I read a short clip for, I guess some some of the powers that be are starting to come around and not treat us, the rest of us humans, like children.
2: Uh-huh.
1: We can handle it, we can handle it. Yes, okay, we just, can. Just tell us the truth, we can handle it. We'll probably have a stiff drink, sit down for about half an hour and go, oh my God, okay. All right, now tell me the rest of it. You know, uh-huh. you know give us some credit.
2: <laughs> you know, over thousands of years, they haven't hurt us, what's to say they're going to hurt us now? Exactly. Uh, we should look at this as a, a more mature civilization, a more spiritual civilization, yes. who is here and concerned about our survival.
1: I hate to say it, but a lot of people are going. to, You know, remember that old Twilight Zone program where it turns out that it was the cookbook? I know there's a lot of people thinking along those lines. It's like, oh. <laughs> you know, all right, yeah, okay, no, no, I'm not going to be that. <laughs> Okay, Captain, take care, darling. It has been wonderful to speak great, to you. Great to speak to you, too. Bye-bye. Uh, Isn't she fantastic to speak to? What an interesting lady. So knowledgeable. So knowledgeable. And that's a short news article that I read. I, I I talked about it because, let's face it, this this was dated yesterday. Okay? The... the you know if you look at it and and i'm glad she pointed it out uh from the military standpoint you could understand where hey before we start, start saying that there's you know ufos or or assume that the ufo is from another planet you know i understand that for security reasons and god knows things i could see where they would say okay we have got to deny it, or maybe. And and, and I'm thinking, you know, what, well, you know, back in, let's say, the 50s and the 60s when they had the Cold War going on, and it was like, better safe than sorry. We got to deny that these things are taking place. And God knows there's been a lot of people in the military and everything that, after the fact, have said, you know what, when I was on active duty, I witnessed this thing, and basically I was pulled inside and told, shut up. You can never talk about that. And uh, she she includes some details in one of her books. We were talking about it before we started recording, where people who who were either experts, whether you were a physicist or they were, would come after you um, personally. How's that? In other words, your the intent. Not only was the bigger picture to put out the new story saying, "Uh, you know what, this was a weather balloon. They were afterwards coming after on a personal level. uh, Anybody that if not directly going against what the government was saying or whoever was saying it. But just because you were telling a story that made it sound possible, people were being targeted uh, uh, on an individual basis. And she talks about in her book, uh, as far as the disinformation, wasn't just a general disinformation, it was disinformation in particular of against certain people where it was ruining their lives. It was ruining their reputation. Uh, If you had any recognition in certain fields, uh, basically you, you could be hindered from gaining employment Which is what I was trying, you know what I pointed out and you know in the midst of this we look at this uh, From on a larger scale, but when you're talking individual people who Like the rest of us have families have obligations uh, need a job uh, The day-to-day grind, you know because we look at stuff from you know in hindsight or from the bigger picture and we kind of lose the daily life of all these people, all these players throughout the years, whether they were military or physicists or experts or they worked at NASA or you were a professor or you were an expert, you know, that, that maybe you might have questioned or said, you know what, uh, I, I've got a certain theory about this where like if that went against the official story that was given out, you you could you they would go after you on a personal level in other words if you didn't get the message before you started to speak out you got the message real clear which is we're going to go after you on a professional personal level and we're going to ruin your life okay and as a matter of fact i'm gonna there's a real quick uh clip of a conversation that that she talked to me about having to do with a very famous abductee. This uh, um, occurred in 1970. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. Did quite a, yes, exactly. I'm sorry, go ahead, continue. The
2: White Mountains of Arizona. Yes. Uh, He was a logger um, doing a a clearing job in the National Forest. Uh, There was a a crew working with him. He was not the head of the crew. There was an Mm -hmm. older man who owned the company. And as they were returning home after a day's work, driving through the National Forest, they saw what they thought was a fire ahead of them. They drove up to this and uh, realized that it was not a fire, that it was a glowing UFO that was hovering at just about treetop level. And so without even thinking, Travis just opened the door to the truck and walked toward it and uh, this beam, blue-green beam came out and hit him and threw him into the air. We know that that beam usually takes a person on board the craft, but something must have happened and he was thrown back. The crew thought he had been killed and they fled and they went back finally looking for his body or for him, seriously injured, he was not there. So they went into town, they were all distraught. They reported it to the police. They came under investigation for um, having done harm or possibly killed um, Travis. And they all had to take lie detector tests. And they all claimed that they had seen a UFO and that they, Believe that the UFO had taken Travis. And they passed the lie detector tests. Travis had been looking, had uh, search teams looking for him for five days before he was finally returned. And he wasn't returned to the spot where he was taken, it was to the outskirts of the town where he would be safe. He would have frozen to death in November in the National Forest. So he, the craft uh, released him, he woke up by the side of the road, he called his family and, and they picked him up. Well, that was already public news because of the UFO nature of this and mm-hmm. because he had been missing for so long.
1: Right, and Everybody's this, assuming he's dead, of course.
2: Yes, when this story came out in the media, the major disinformant in that time frame, Philip Class, went to work to destroy not only the story, but Travis himself and also the owner of that company. He did Oh every- him too? Yes, him too. He he was he was reported to the IRS and year after year he was audited. I
1: didn't know that.
2: Yes. Yes, I have, it's, it's all in my book, Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers wow. with Stanton Friedman. The, the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs, the disinformance they had and their modus operandi and case after case are all in that book. You can read all of the details on the but travel- you know
1: what? Because that's, that even goes beyond this information if you think about it.
2: Yes, it does. Philip Klass was a very nasty guy. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. um, He became the go-to guy for the mainstream media after Dr. Edward Condon, who led the scientific study on UFOs that started in 1966 and ended in 1969. Dr. Edward Condon received a lot of help with disinformation from Philip Klass. And he was so grateful that he referred Philip Class. He wrote a letter um, of uh, commendation for Philip Class uh, to McGraw-Hill, stating that he ought to be the person who would be the representative for the mainstream media. And year after year after year, as long as he lived, he was on television he was in newspapers he was on radio shows giving the public disinformation destroying right. the character and the reputations of people who were victims of alien abduction
1: right because he got he was considered an, an expert you know that, that yes. thing so and of and course it, whatever it was, he said nobody it. was going to question it
2: right It's really unfortunate, and that's something that I have tried to make uh, available to the mainstream media now so that they know what happened, they know what is going on.
1: And that this was an ongoing thing. It was not like a once or twice thing. It was was an ongoing process of, you know, let's reinforce it. Let's reinforce it. You know, for anybody that is interested in this, has an experience, whatever, it's not a one-time deal. We got to keep this rolling along year after year because, and all of a sudden, it becomes the truth, which is a problem, big time. Yes,
2: yes. And, and he did, year after year, taking every credible UFO sighting and abduction where there was evidence, and sometimes a lot of evidence, he repeatedly attempted to destroy that story and the reputations of those individuals
1: yeah well he has like a either sociopathic or psychopathic flavor to him without knowing the particulars because i don't know but that's what it sounds like yes um, for somebody to be like that
2: i agree with that
1: okay hold on let me get this. that was a real eye-opener wasn't it as far as travis walton and his employer that was a very short clip because his story is very well documented uh and i i was not aware that you know, even his employer got targeted and that there's several and, 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 um, you know, it almost sounds like there's certain players, some, most of them, as a matter of fact, I think are, have passed away by now that you would think, okay, maybe they were like, I mean, you really have to be very manipulative, but in a very It's almost like I want to say, and I and I told her like it's almost like these people have a psychological problem, but they're under the cover of working for the government or being called experts or being reinforced that they're the only ones telling the truth, and it's like, uh, then you could think, okay, that's on one person, but somebody, whoever was holding that person's leash, had to have been aware of what they were doing and was going, okay, all right, do it. Go ahead so you have to spread lies and ruin this person and his family by extension because it's just not that person by themselves uh ruin his credibility uh ruin him professionally ruin probably his personal life depending uh and and as a matter of fact i'm not going to go into it now but there's throughout the years there's been several people involved in what it's a ufology of some type who have committed suicide and even now there's questionable suicides as in some people saying this person was not suicidal in other words that they were done away with and made to look like suicides because of what they were talking about or writing about or describing uh and yes i'm sure you know i'm not going to say each and every one because unfortunately sometimes you're not inside that person's skin or their mind to say you know was was this person suicidal? Did they have suicidal ideations? And they just happen to have been involved in this field. But there's a lot of weird stuff that has gone on as far as people that picked the their dirt nap very conveniently at certain times. And uh, that's not being a, a, a conspiracy theorist. I think that also what's happened is that Now, let's let's even though there's been UFO sightings and blah, 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 but let's start with the case of uh, of her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, which that occurred in 1961. We're talking over 50 years. It's almost like now because of, let's say, the use of the internet dissemination. In other words, that we have a 50 year block of time that we could look back over and say, wow, you know, in other words, you know, we have that bird's eye view of events and things that people can say, Wait, that happened to that person. That happened and this happened and this and and in some cases that like I said, some of these people that have been involved have actually passed away, regardless of what side of it you were on. Were you the one that was that this is a plausible, probable story that should be investigated, or were you one of the ones that was tasked with doing the disinformation? Okay, that now we're actually being able to look back and say, Wait a minute there's something going on here. And like I said, I think personally, despite all our knowledge and efforts to disavow the existence of it, uh, I think that there's a lot we don't know. And I think that government sometimes would be afraid of admitting that there's a lot of things that they don't know. And as a matter of fact, that that they could say, because you know everybody, let's say, points to like the crash at Roswell and other things that have taken place, in other words that we've been able to actually gather actual materials, whether it's uh, bodies or materials from ships. But what if, what if a lot of the information that I'm going to say the government, when I say overall or the government department or that department, which is the the the, the one behind the scenes basically all they have is the actual information of abductees (laughs) as far as them realizing you know what we have all these separate people different ages different places different parts of the country who all coincide on this observation but then if let's say if they ever came out and said well we're going to come we're going to come clean the blah, blah 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 and then of course they would be asked certain questions that they couldn't provide answers to that they could say well yeah well, um we believe based on uh having looked at thousands of people who have actually come forward and admitted or described an abduction or some type of uh you know visual of that we think and people say well what do you mean in other words you're only depending on witness witnesses of some type yeah because we really really don't know Uh, yeah, because I think that there's for all that we might know, that might is a big question mark because we really, I think there's a lot we don't, and us as human beings that don't know, you because remember we consider ourselves at the top of the food chain here on planet Earth, okay? We're the end all be all, you know, whether physically we're at the top, we're not, but because of technology, we're able. To say we're at the top of the food chain and we manipulate the environment and everything that's on it and plant life, et cetera, et cetera. To actually fall into the we don't know, we have really truly, we can guess at some of the stuff and maybe we have collected some material, but we really can't say we know who or how many extraterrestrials are here, have been here are studying us because i know there's theories out there people saying that governments have direct contact and coordinations from some of these extraterrestrials but what if we don't you know because everybody thinks of you know like I've, ta- I've said this before like you know the x-files version where we got we're totally joined at the hip with some of these extraterrestrials and we have agreements and this and that and that basically uh we know a lot about them and we're basically have a a, a, some type of understanding with them but that's just Hollywood what if we don't but what if what we have is just stuff that's happened accidentally a crash vehicle recovered stuff things that have been recovered eyewitness testimony from people that they themselves know really are saying the truth and then of course parsing information Deeply by different witnesses or ex- people that have had experiences, and you know, okay, like you rule out the people that have mental problems, you draw away the attention seekers who are, in other words, liars, but then you're left with still thousands, if not millions, depending on how long, far back we're going through information that you start to realize, okay, this is being described very often by all these different people. That there's no way for them to have coordinated the answers because because either one was dead and the other, one, well, the other one was alive. Well, what I mean dead or, or you know, or that, that this person was alive and then they passed away and this other person. Okay, in other words, there's no way that they there was any type of, you know, uh, coordination of information, but they're describing the exact same thing, whatever that might be. know it it, again it's i think it's very exciting it's kind of scary in a way because i I belong i'm a human being and you know we like i said considering that we want to think that we're in control of everything in the sense of uh you know that we're trying to be responsible in, in our actions towards other humans and animals and the planet you know without without thinking, you know, we've got extraterrestrials looking over our shoulder. We shouldn't have, that shouldn't be part of the reason why we do it. That all of a sudden it kind of puts us back in our place. Like, whoops. Yeah. You know what? We have had visitors who have been looking over our shoulders, maybe tweaking with our DNA. Uh, And now they're kind of going, oh my God. You know, like when you got teenagers, like what? They're doing what? And then, huh <laughs> that kind of stuff and then, then throw in there into the mix some reptilians who uh maybe are kind of like dangerous i don't know you know or or, or kind of more cutthroat when it comes to their uh, observations or studies i mean yeah let's see what happens hopefully no that, that Noah's art plan that they might have going on, hopefully they will never, ever, ever have to implement it. <laughs> because personally, uh, I, like I said, and I've said this before and I will say it again, I believe in human beings. I, I believe in the goodness of human beings. And by this, uh, despite how sometimes we can be molded to do bad things and become bad people, I think overall, as human beings, as in human beings, the planet over you know, in general, we're, we're good, and we can triumph, and we can overcome this, and I'm, I'm betting that those ETs out there are, are, are putting down odds, and that we're going to come out at the other end of this, and go on to explore other worlds, and um, become part of let me go. Let me let me go. Sci-fi here, you know. Become part of that intergalactic federation out there of advanced civilizations and species that gets it, you know, that gets it, and that is not into uh, destruction of ourselves and of any of our world and any others we might come across. That we're going to be on that side of it, you know, because like I say, it's got to be about creation, not destruction. Whether we're talking one human being to larger first thing you have to look at is this person into creation into creating or is this person into destruction destruction when you start seeing destruction in somebody's personality and their actions and by this i'm saying one and then extrapolates from there then you got to start worrying okay destruction is a bad thing you know uh and, and you know you know what I mean? Yes, I'll destroy roaches, but you, you know what I'm talking about. This destruction, that, that the end-all, be-all of somebody's actions is to destroy. That's not a good thing. Never a good thing. So anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, it uh, it's, it's interviews like these with people uh, like my guest who kind of pulls you out of the humdrum everyday life that we fall into, you know, our our everyday struggles or routines that kind of plucks you out and says there's bigger things going on around you as comforting as your routine is for you there is more going on around you and bottom line it's a fantastic time to be alive take care guys thanks you're all wonderful
0: we did it again